turn in your Bibles uh, with me uh, as we continue a little bit of a diversion from our our study in Daniel, but still anchoring uh, this diversion from the words that we find in Daniel 10.13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. This is Gabriel, uh, who is speaking, and speaks of Michael as well, joining with him uh, to to uh, overcome and to fight this spiritual battle against this uh, spiritual uh, uh, and fallen angel um, that is called the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And so here is a spiritual battle that's going on, and it's raised again the question uh, in our mind that not only do we have and do we see that there are these spiritual battles that pertain to those in high places, those who rule and reign uh, in kingdoms, but uh, there is this spiritual battle that likewise goes forward uh, in our own personal lives. And I'm, I'm especially um, interested, concerned, to address that for you and for your benefit, for your welfare uh, as, as believers who trust in Jesus Christ. And uh, the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, uh, Paul says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And so we want to consider the various ways that Satan may gain an advantage over us and how we can, uh, by God's grace and by what he has given to us, uh, be able to combat and to fight in that spiritual battle against the enemy who comes against all of us, uh, who comes especially against we who trust in Jesus Christ. We tend to think, I think, that uh, the enemy is especially against or working through those who are unbelievers, who are the, the, the forces of evil are especially concerned about unbelievers. Well, their hearts are given over to the enemy. Uh, the, the devil wants to make us as ineffective as possible in our own personal lives, in our marriages, in our church, in our work. He wants to make us ineffective. That's, that's who he's most concerned about, are, are Christians, those who profess faith in Christ. And that's my concern, is to, to warn and to share with you this battle that goes forward and that we need to continue uh, to be aware of. If we truly understand as Christians that there is a spiritual battle within us uh, between our sinful flesh 
and the Holy Spirit. And likewise, that there is a spiritual battle outside of us between the seductive temptations of the world and our renewed nature as Christians, then why do we need to discuss the devil at all in relationship to this spiritual battle? Is spending time discussing Satan and a spiritual battle with his wicked spiritual forces, is that necessary? Do we give too much credit to the devil and his evil cohorts and the role that they play in our temptations by addressing this issue in, in a few sermons? Well, see, God tells us through his inspired prophets in Scripture that there are not just two enemies uh, that tempt us and draw us away from Christ, the world and the flesh, but there are three enemies. The world, first of all, as tempting us outwardly through people, and through the attractions of the age that are opposed to Christ. In 1 John 2.15, John says, Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. He's talking about this evil world system uh, that leads us astray. Uh, he says, love it not, uh, because it will lead you astray. That's the first enemy. Then the second enemy is the flesh. Uh, as tempting us inwardly through its sinful desires that oppose the will of God. In Romans 13, 14, Paul says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. This is the sinful part uh, within us, these sinful desires. Make no provision for them. That's the second enemy. And then the devil, as tempting and influence, influencing us to follow the world or to follow the flesh rather than to follow Christ. That's the third enemy. As we've already read in 2 Corinthians 2, 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices, that is, of his evil purposes. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 17, section 3, addresses the perseverance of the saints and identifies these same three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, identifies these same three enemies as the source of our temptations in leading us into sin, even as Christians says, nevertheless, they, that is true Christians, may, through the temptations of Satan, first enemy, and of the world, second enemy, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, third enemy, the flesh, and the neglect of the means of their perseverance fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein whereby they incur God's displeasure, even as Christians incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened, their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. 
Therefore, let us not, let us not minimize uh, this spiritual enemy, Satan, and his wicked forces in this spiritual battle that we face daily, each of us in this world. Knowing the enemy and how he uses the world and the flesh to draw us away from the Lord Jesus is not a mere matter of knowledge that we know, but will prove, if we truly understand, it will prove to be our wisdom in overcoming Satan, the world, and the flesh in our daily lives. In this brief diversion from our text in Daniel chapter 10, we began a careful consideration of the spiritual battle we face as Christians last Lord's Day, and, and we considered know your spiritual enemy. Today, we move from that to a second point, which we'll probably spend another Lord's Day discussing as well, Know your spiritual enemy's tactics. And then we will wind up this brief diversion from our text in Daniel 10 by know the resources God has given to you to overcome your spiritual enemy. So let us consider know your spiritual enemy's tactics. There is... As we've already noted in last week's sermon, there is uh, the unseen and the seen demonic influence all around us. And as I noted also last week, just to, by way of review, we very readily see and we very readily acknowledge the demonic influence and deception uh, in all false religions including the huge growth of Satanism, uh, the occult, uh, the New Age paganism, in the persecution of Christians who stand for God's truth, in the murdering of unborn children and mass murders, in wickedly confusing children about their sexual identity, in transgender mutilation, of children, in destroying the institution of marriage in any way that the world can destroy it because it has been instituted by God and their goal is to not have so-called equality but is to destroy the very institutions of God. And not, not only tolerating sexual perversion but normalizing sexual per perversion by way of laws, and by way of the rampant exposure and condoning of it in all forms of media and in porn, and trafficking children and adults as sex slaves, in racial hatred, in violent riots that burn down cities, that's very conspicuous as far as works of the devil. We can see that very clearly. Those are all very public displays for anyone to behold and acknowledge as works of the devil. But what are not so often known 
to be the works of the devil are the many ways that he leads us into sin, away from the Lord Jesus, by way of his temptations and by way of his suggestions. You see, dear ones, this is a grand deception of the devil. And yet we are responsible for our response to the temptations that he brings against us. Why would God tell us through James, in James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you if we were not responsible to resist him. And so we are responsible for how we respond to those temptations. We cannot say, well, the devil made me do it. We are responsible and accountable to God. Just as there are ways in which The devil desires to be directly and publicly acclaimed and worshipped. For example, uh, he does desire that in Satanism. Um, just uh, again, uh, he uh, no doubt gloats over the number of people that are fl flocking to Satanism uh, and worship of him. That was one of the temptations you remember he, he gave to the Lord Jesus to worship him. Bow down and worship him. So there are many ways in which he also prefers not to be known as, as publicly as he does, for example, in Satanism. There are also many ways he prefers to be hidden, uh, to not be exposed, in order to seduce and in order to deceive us. I think that we would all be much more likely to say no to temptation if we had a visual conception, a visualization of Satan being the one who's standing there and tempting us to do that particular uh, matter in, in our sinful desires or attraction to the world and following the world. If we saw Satan in front of us tempting us, I think that would be, again, a much, much more direct way of temptation. And we would say, no, absolutely not. I'm not going to do that, devil. But when we don't see him, when we don't visualize him, when, we, uh, when he works behind the scene, as it were, in a hidden way, uh, and all we, all we actually know is there's this temptation within our our, our, within our sinful desires or there's this tempt temptation out there in the world in some way to lead us from Christ uh, that's how he again he's using those though he doesn't manifest himself visibly to us he's using those in order to lead us astray to lead us away from the Lord Jesus he loves to hide in darkness to work secretly and seducing us to follow him and pleasing our either our sinful desires or pursuing the vanity of this world. First Timothy 4.1 speaks of giving heed to seducing spirits. Seducing spirits. Seducing spirits don't manifest and say, 
I'm a seducing spirit. They seduce because they don't tell you that. They simply mislead you, right? And that's what Satan delights to do, especially with Christians. Seducing spirits. There are two preliminary questions that I would uh, like to begin in talking about the knowing the, the tactics that our spiritual enemy uses against us. There are two preliminary questions that, that we're going to focus on today. God willing, next Lord's Day, we'll look more specifically at some of those tactics and devices that, that uh, the enemy uses. But I want to open this uh, discussion about the enemy's tactics with these uh, two questions. The first question is this. Why does our loving Father and blessed Savior allow Satan to tempt us? Why does, it, why does the Lord not prevent the enemy from doing so? Almighty God could indeed uh, restrain. He could prevent uh, Satan from tempting, from confusing, from seducing, and from lying to us as he could have done with Peter. When the Lord Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. Jesus didn't have to give permission to Satan, for Satan to sift Peter like wheat. He could have said, no, you're not going to do that. Why does the Lord permit us to be tempted? Satan must seek permission. We know from scripture, from what I've just decided in Luke 22. And uh, uh, Jesus saying that Satan has permission. So if Satan must seek permission, why does God not say no? Why does he say yes? Obviously, there are times in which he does say no. There are times in which he does say yes. Well, let me suggest there are a number of reasons God does so. And none of them are for our destruction as Christians but out of love for us to grow in Jesus Christ. So listen closely. Why does God allow Satan to tempt us? Well, first of all, first reason is because God allowed Satan to tempt the Lord Jesus. Jesus is our example. Even Jesus did not escape the temptation of Satan. In Matthew 4 1 says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Holy Spirit did not intend the destruction of Jesus by leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. In fact, the Bible tells us God Himself cannot tempt anyone to sin. James 1.13 Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God does not himself 
directly tempt any man. But he could prevent temptation. He allows it to happen. Nevertheless, I submit that in the case of Jesus, that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. It was for our encouragement. It was for our comfort that Jesus was tempted. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. In order to become one of us, in order to be like us, as a man, he needed to be tempted as well. Tempted as we are tempted. In order to be a sympathetic high priest who understands from his own experience what it is to be tempted, so that he can pray for us as we go through temptation, so that he sympathizes with us as we go through temptation. He knows what it is. Likewise, in Hebrews 2.18, it says, For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. You see, temptation is suffering. Temptation is suffering. We all know what it is to be tempted. And we all know in seeking to say no to temptation, there is a suffering that goes on within us to say no because it is hard. It is difficult. In fact, it is impossible apart without the work of God in our lives to say no to the enemy. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor, to help them that are tempted. He became one of us. He's fully man. And he demonstrated he's fully man. That he not only suffered for us, but he suffered with us. He suffered with us in his skin as a man, being tempted as we are. And in his temptation, we also gain much instruction by way of how he faced temptation. You recall that every time he was tempted, three times that he was tempted by Satan, Jesus said, it is written. He used the sword of the Holy Spirit to combat the temptations of the enemy. He didn't say, now wait a minute, Satan, uh, let me find this, let me look it up in my Bible. He quoted it. He had committed it to memory. And that's why committing scripture to memory, memorizing very important passages of scripture that help you daily to fight and to war against the enemy so that they are there, so you can pull out your sword, as it were, on the spur of the moment to combat the enemy is so important. 
Let it not be something tucked away somewhere back there. I know that there's something that addresses this particular situation. No, but having it there ready to use, to pull out of the sheath. Dear ones, if the Father permitted his only begotten Son to be tempted, which was, as it says, suffering for the Lord Jesus. That was suffering for Jesus Christ. Who are we to complain that it is not loving or fair for God to allow Satan to tempt us for our good and for the good of others who likewise can benefit from what we endure? A second reason in response, why does our loving Father and blessed Savior allow Satan to tempt us? God grows us in faith. He grows us in, in patience and perseverance through temptations. They may be temptations from the enemy that the enemy intends to use against us in order to lead us into sin. That's the intention of the enemy. But they are tests from God to strengthen us in withstanding the attacks of the enemy. Yeah, they're temptations from Satan, they're tests from the Lord. The Lord intends to strengthen us in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, we read, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Your temptations are, from Satan are intended to test and to try you and to build your faith and trust in, in the Lord Jesus. You see, the way in which we learn to stand against the enemy is to learn how to stand. And not only to learn from Scripture how to stand, but to learn from our experience how to stand against the enemy how to overcome the enemy through practicing the truth. You know, if a team wants to end up in first place, wants to defeat that very strong opponent, that team isn't going to pl uh, play throughout its season the worst teams uh, uh, that are available. He's not, they're not going to be ready to to. to meet that challenge from the best team if they have been playing all the easy teams. And so the Lord is teaching us through the temptations he brings or the, through the temptations he allows Satan to bring and the tests that he puts us into. He's strengthening us through those to say no to those temptations and to flee to the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. Why does God allow Satan to tempt us? Third, 
God humbles us and shows us how weak we are in our own strength and how much we need the resurrection power of Christ to overcome the enemy and his temptations that he brings against us. We need to see how weak we are in ourselves in order that we might, in facing temptations, might flee to Christ and his power and his strength. You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about that the messenger of Satan was sent by, uh, was sent to buffet him, uh, to strike him uh, in his body. Uh, I take that to be a, body, a bodily affliction of some kind in order that he might not uh, exalt in pride over the revelations that God had given unto Paul. And Paul, uh, in speaking about this, he says <clears throat> that he prayed three times that God would deliver him from this messenger of Satan. And God said to him, to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You have an opportunity to see the power of God working in your life when you say, I am so weak in this and vulnerable in this area of my life. I have fallen so many times to my shame in this area of my life. But you have, in recognizing your weakness, you have the opportunity to see the power of God work in your life. We, like Peter, may act as though we are beyond being tempted by Satan <clears throat> to fall in that particular sin or this particular sin, but we are warned in God's word against having that kind of pride. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. We only stand, dear ones, by God's grace. And we fall when we are not leaning upon God's grace. When we are leaning upon our own strength, when we are when we're so distracted, when we're not looking to Christ, when we're not following Christ, we are vulnerable in that weakness. Fourthly, why does God allow Satan to tempt us? God uses our temptations to encourage and to comfort others who go through similar temptations. Just as the temptations of the Lord Jesus encourage us, we take comfort in the fact that he who is our head, he who has gone before us, he who is our Savior, he who strengthens us overcame temptations. And he's the one who will be with us. We gain comfort and encouragement from, from the temptations of the Lord Jesus. So likewise, we gain comfort and encouragement from the temptation Peter went through. He fell. And we're not rejoicing that Peter fell. But even when the Lord was telling Peter that Satan had asked permission to sift him like wheat... 
he assures Peter that he will return. Peter will return. He will repent. And he says, go and strengthen thy brethren. Strengthen them with what? With what Peter went through. His experience. Use it to comfort. Use it to encourage and to instruct others that God is faithful. God will help you in the midst of temptation. When we are struggling, dear ones, with a strong temptation, uh, we have fallen so many times into that particular sin. I suppose comforting others may seem like the last thing on our minds. What would probably be going through our minds is, would be our failure. And yet, that truth, I believe, understanding that we can use our temptations and what we have gone through, both our failures as well as our successes by God's grace. We can use that for others, that they give not up their hope, that they do not be cast uh, so far down into the pit that they never get up again. We can use what we have gone through and how God has helped us to encourage and strengthen others as well. I'm reminded of the words of the Proverbs that we find in chapter 24, verse 16. There, for a just man falleth seven times, and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. The implication being, uh, don't rise again. That's no excuse, dear ones. It's no excuse, uh, or it's not to encourage our falling into the same sin time and time again, but rather... There is hope. There is hope as we share our, what God has done for us and how he has helped us. We convey hope to others that he will uphold them and strengthen them as well. The fifth response to this question, why does God allow Satan to tempt us? The last one I'll mention God uses the temptations of Satan to discipline us in love. When we stubbornly insist on heading down a path that the Lord has warned us not to travel, when we say, no, Lord, I'm going down that path anyway. I'm going to do this because I want to do it. The Lord gives us over to that temptation as a means of discipline to teach us, to instruct us. Well, you want to go that way? You want to see what happens? You want to learn the hard way? Okay, go right on. And he knows how to teach us. But he does so not because he hates us, not because he despises us as his children, but because he loves us and he is chastening us.
Yet we refuse, even though he has warned us in his word, even though he's warned us through the preaching of God's word, even though he's warned us through parents and friends, spouses concerning certain matters, yet we refuse to listen. And the Lord does, again, chasten us and deliver us over to those temptations. And sometimes those, those lessons are the hardest to be learned when he gives us over. How far we go, how much we must suffer, because, again, that is not pleasant to suffer uh, in such a way. Any more than it was for Peter uh, to suffer in the way that he suffered because the Lord warned him about his pride. He said he wouldn't deny the Lord. He wouldn't forsake the Lord. All the other apostles said likewise because they wouldn't listen to him. They wouldn't watch and pray. They were delivered over to that temptation and they suffered greatly as a result. That's what Hebrews chapter 12 is talking about. As, as a loving father, he chastens us. He, he again permits us to go down that path. If that's where we're headed and we won't listen, then we must Rather than being taught the easy way, the soft way, the gentle way through his word, then we have to learn the hard way through our experience and the enemy coming against us in those ways of temptation and sin and falling into particular sins that engulf us. A second preliminary question, we'll end on this question, this Lord's Day, is this. How do we know when it is Satan and his evil forces that are tempting us as opposed to the world or the flesh that is tempting us? Well, since Satan tempts us by way of using uh, the world and the flesh to tempt us, let me suggest to you that it's very difficult to distinguish the temptations of Satan from the outward temptations of the world and from the inward temptations of the flesh. I submit that it, it's really not necessary uh, that we clearly be able to understand when it's Satan that's tempting us as opposed to when the world is tempting us, as opposed to when the flesh is tempting us, when all three are tempting us at the same time. I don't know that it's necessary to be able to clearly distinguish that, but simply to know the Bible teaches that Satan has a role and a part in tempting us, and his wicked and evil forces uh, join hands and unite in using the world and our own sinful desires to tempt and lead us astray and away from Christ. In some places... Uh, in Scripture, the emphasis falls upon the, the outward battle with the world. For example, in James 4.4, uh, 4, <clears throat> Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? 
Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So there the emphasis is upon the world as an enemy. That evil system of the world. In other places, the emphasis falls upon the inward battle with the flesh. For example, in Romans 7.18, Paul says, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, that the sinful uh, nature within dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. So here's the, an emphasis upon the, the sinful desires within us. And then there are those <clears throat> places that emphasize our spiritual battle with the devil. In Ephesians 6.11, Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That is the deceitful and cunning ways of the devil. <clears throat> so Satan uses all of our weaknesses and uh, sins against us, whether it's a, a proud look, which he sees, or one of his cohorts sees, uh, whether it's angry words, whether it's porn, whether it's fretting over people and circumstances, whether it's doubting the promises of God, whether it's trusting in the arm of flesh, rather than trusting in God, whether it's avoiding communion with Jesus in prayer, reading his word. Uh, he knows our weaknesses <clears throat> by way of his scouting report. And uh, he uses those weaknesses against us, whether it's the sinful desires within or whether it's our attraction to the world without. He knows them. But let me, <clears throat> let me suggest to you some practical indicators of Satan's work in using the world and the flesh to tempt us. I, I again, want to emphasize we may not be able to clearly distinguish a temptation, uh, whether it's coming from Satan, the world, or the flesh, or wh whether two out of the three, or three out of the three. We may not be able to make that distinction. But I do think there are certain ways in which temptations come our way that indicate Satan is involved in that temptation. And that we can... Uh, that we can point to that and say, that's more than simply a sinful desire, or that's more than simply an attraction to the world. First way is the frequency of the temptation. It is relentless. It will not leave you alone. It just comes and comes. It barrages you, it seems like, night and day. That probably is an indication that that is Satan using the world or the flesh uh, in your life or my life by way of temptation, the frequency, and how it just seems to be constantly in your mind or constantly uh, confronting you, that particular temptation, whatever it may be. Another practical indicator of Satan's work 
uh, in using the world and the flesh to tempt us is the strength of the temptation, the intensity of that in, that temptation. It just is. It, it seems overwhelming. And you're saying, it's like a flood. It's like a huge wave, and it's just going to knock me down. I can't stand before it. <clears throat> That's what it seems like. Those times, regardless of, of the sin that one is being tempted to commit, it just, again, seems so relentless. And you just seem powerless because of the... Uh, the intensity and strength of the temptation. Sometimes it's a temptation likewise uh, under the same point. It seems it's so strong and it comes out of nowhere. There you are praying. There you are just you know, communing with Christ and this wicked thought uh, uh, comes into your mind just out of nowhere. Distracts you. Maybe it's not even a, a necessarily a, 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 a wicked thought, but maybe it's simply a distraction just to take your mind off of the one to whom you're praying. Again, I, I think that just simply to dismiss that as being normal, I, I, I do think that that's a, probably an indication, again, of the work of the enemy in using those sinful desires, raising those at, at a time you're not even thinking about those things, whatever it may be. Another practical indicator of Satan's work in using the world and the flesh to tempt us, I think, is often the degree of confusion that we have uh, by way of a temptation. We are so confused, we're perplexed. We don't know what to think. We don't know what to do. We feel aimless and, and what, you know, what's going on here? That, that uh, darkness uh, just by way of confusion and not, where's the light? I, ca I can't see the light. Uh, that kind of confusion is I think also uh, an indication uh, a practical indication of the work of Satan in using the world of the flesh. Uh, another is um, anxiety, extreme anxiety and panic that flow from a temptation. Uh, you, you feel paralyzed by fear. Again, Satan is using the world and the flesh, but I, I think Satan uses that fear, that strong fear uh, and panic that debilitates and paralyzes us. It sends us off in, 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 in just uh, uh, not knowing what to do because we are so overwhelmed. Well, I, I, I submit to you that that's also likely uh, another indication of Satan taking something within us, something without us, but magnifying it in such a way as to, as to just drive us into a panic mode. Another one is uh, discouragement, despair, depression. Starts off discouragement, leads to de despair and hopelessness, which leads to depression. 
from the temptation. Uh, Satan delights, again, to make us totally unable, ineffective, to be able to relate to the things we need to relate to in life. And he does so, so often by way of discouragement, despair, and depression, where we, can't, we feel like we can't even function. Uh, we can't handle life. We can't handle the problems. We can't handle anything. We can't deal with this or that. It comes to pastors, too, uh, by way of uh, uh, discouragement, despair, depression um, as well. Uh, we're all susceptible uh, to these types of temptations uh, that Satan brings and uses from the world and the flesh. But I, I submit to you again, that's a place where Satan wants you. In a state of discouragement, in a state of despair and hopelessness, and in a, in, in a, a, a state of depression. Where you feel like God doesn't care, God doesn't hear, he's a million miles away, I'm all by myself. No one cares. And again, uh, that's, the, that's the type of temptation when it leads to that, that can lead to bodily injury and bodily harm as well. The next one is a practical indicator. <clears throat> Illnesses unexplained illnesses uh, that we may have and we may not be able to track where they come from, how we got them, um, maybe even medically speaking, they cannot track uh, where this comes from, what happened, um, I think can be as well an indication of, of Satan and his um, using uh, the world, using the flesh, using our bodies by way of temptations. I was true of Job. Job didn't know what had hit him. Um, he didn't know, he couldn't give any explanation why he was suffering the way he was suffering, where it had come from. He just knew he was suffering. Likewise, uh, Jesus healed a, a particular woman who was bent over, could not stand straight up. She had been in this condition for 18 years. We read, Jesus says this in Luke 13, 16, to those who criticized him because he was healing this woman on the Sabbath day, even though they would unleash their animals and go and water them and feed them and, and that type of thing. Jesus says, And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. Here was, again, the involvement of the enemy, Satan, in this woman's physical affliction. Um, there was no, you know, the, uh, no explanation, perhaps that that was why she was suffering. 
she's called the daughter of Abraham. That would perhaps indicate that she was a woman of faith, and yet she was suffering, just like Job was suffering from Satan. That's not to say that every trial, every bodily affliction uh, is something that we can attribute uh, to Satan. Um, for Paul, you'll recall, says to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 5.23, who apparently was ill often, who was having stomach problems often, he doesn't uh, pray that Satan would uh, release, um, Paul doesn't pray that Satan would release Timothy uh, from some type of bondage or something. He says, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Use wine as a medicinally to take care of this particular problem that you're suffering from. So again, we don't want to find a demon involved in every particular illness. But to say that, that the devil doesn't at times, that he's not involved in, in seeking to discourage, to depress us by way of bodily illnesses, I think would also be going to the opposite extreme, which is, would not be true based upon what God says. And so, you know, how do we discern one from the other? I think we just need to, again, we go the normal route to try to find out what's wrong with us. We go, we try to deal with as much information as we have available to us. But sometimes, again, I think the Lord just, you know, shows us by way of certain bodily illnesses and, and things that come upon us maybe suddenly or, or uh, various things that happen to us, that there's more involved in this than simply something physical. And again, I think the Lord would call us to resist the, resist the devil. We're going to talk about that. How we resist the devil uh, in an upcoming sermon. And then finally, a practical indicator of Satan's work uh, is when we see Satan at work in seeking to destroy the very institutions that God has established, thinking of the family, thinking of marriage. Satan, by way of bringing, raising conflicts, by way of raising um, uh, bitterness and resentment and anger and violence in word and in deed, I believe Satan hates the institutions that God has established. Marriage family, the church, the state. And he will do everything he possibly can, and he will do it even within Christian marriages to destroy, because he hates it. We need to see, we need to see the hand of Satan in seeking to destroy our marriages.
our families. Not only our wicked, our own evil desires, which are certainly that which he uses, but also we need to recognize his wicked and evil hand in that. That's what he wants. Are we going to give Satan what he wants? Or are we going to give to God our lives, our marriages, so they become a glorious testimony of, and trophy of God's grace and what God has done in our lives? The application I'd leave with you, just a couple things to think about, closing remarks. First, the more ignorant and apathetic we are to Satan's secret devices, the more happy Satan is to work incognito. He's very happy to work behind the scenes secretly. But I submit to you, dear ones, it's time. It's time he be exposed and resisted by the power of Christ's death and resurrection, by the power of the word of God, by the power of his Holy Spirit that dwells within us. It's not a time to lay down. It's not a time to run in fear. It's a time to resist him in all the ways that he uses the world and the flesh to tempt us and to lead us away from Jesus Christ. And then secondly, it is also a device, a method of the devil to drive us to fear him the more we learn about him and how he works. Sometimes we may say, I don't want to know more about the devil. I don't want to know more about Satan. And we become fearful of learning more about him. We think ignorance is bliss, but it's not. It's not bliss at all. It's the way he continues to seduce us. It's the way he continues to defeat us. Dear ones, understand that Satan is already a defeated enemy through the death, resurrection, and enthronement of Jesus Christ. Whatever battles he wages against us as Christians, God is using those battles for our good. Even our failures, even our stumbling, because he will, as he did with Peter, he will restore us again. And we will learn more and more, practically, experientially, we'll learn more and more how Satan attacks us, how he uses the, the world and the flesh against us. And we will gain wisdom and understanding. And God will give us, Christ will give us increasingly more and more victories, over this defeated enemy. 
Satan may be, dear ones, a roaring lion. But he is a toothless lion that has been declawed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, before whom all the forces of evil flee. And dear ones, the more we learn how to fight this spiritual battle, the more bold we become in Christ, not more fearful, more bold. May temptations that you face send you to Jesus, not away from him, but to him. We resist the devil by fleeing to Jesus, not away from Jesus. Amen. Please stand with me in prayer. <clears throat> Our victorious king, the lion of the tribe of Judah, thou who hast defeated all thine and all our enemies, we bow before thee, Lord Jesus, and we thank thee, our God, for giving to us understanding from thy word, and we desire to apply that knowledge from thy word in our daily experience, that we not be led along by Satan, but that, Lord, we understand that it's Jesus that leads Satan along. We pray, our God, that thou would strengthen our faith and our trust in thee. And we, Lord, would know that, that our struggles with temptation, though they are very hard, though they are difficult, though many times we want to just give up, Thank thee that thou dost not give up on us. We praise thee that thou art using all of these temptations to make us strong in the Lord, to war and battle against the enemy. Lord, we, we commit our lives to thee and pray that thou would use us uh, <clears throat> in our families, at work, uh, use us in the church, of Jesus Christ as tools of Jesus Christ, not tools of the enemy. We thank thee, our God, for thy great love for us in using all of these means to train us, to teach us, to care for us. We praise thee and thank thee. In Jesus' name, amen.